0: Father God, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you that you speak to us through it. We thank you that your word is good. And though it can ask hard things of us, they are also good things. And you give us your spirit so that we might live them. I pray that you will give me your spirit now so that I might say what you want me to say and that your Spirit might be empowering all of us to hear you speaking to us and changing us so that we might be obedient to it. Amen. So, uh, people who camp uh, make me feel guilty. And the reason why I feel guilty about people who camp is because camping seems to me like the morally superior way to go on holidays. Like, it is like... You pack your car full of tents and air mattresses and, you know, solar showers and solar panels and, you know, tarpaulins and stoves and lanterns. And you you fill it all up and you head off into the bush and you have a rustic experience where you just, you know, go to sleep when the sun goes down, you get up when the sun comes up, the kids play in the dirt, and you just sit under the awning and, and watch them go. You cook at night with your headlamp on, and then you sit down, and you eat your, you know, half-cooked meal, and you, you're like, this is the life, isn't it? And uh, I hate it. I don't want to do that at all. That doesn't seem fun to me. Like, I want to I look at my food and be sure that those beans are not bugs. And uh, and, and I don't want to sleep on like the, the, the skinniest mattress you can find or an air mattress which is an airless mattress by the end of the night. That's not what I want to do. I like the five-star experience. Like I will go to a five-star hotel uh, for one night or two. That's about the most I could ever afford until I had kids and now it doesn't happen. But It's still, you know, an aspiration of mine to get back there and it's great because instead of, you know, camping where you have to do it all yourself and it's worse than your house... In five stars, you like they're like, what is the most we can do to make it the most comfortable experience? The big, cushy bed and five kinds of pillows, and you can pick which one is the right consistency for your head. There's like a TV there which says, welcome, Mr. French, have a great stay. And you're like, thanks, TV, for welcoming me. I would be uncomfortable if there was a human doing it, but I love it that it's a TV. That is great. And you've got, you know, lovely, you know, bathroom facilities and free, you know, the soaps and shampoo things you can steal and if you want to explore the surrounding environment it's not just bush and mosquitoes there's like there's like a cafe for your brunch and a cafe for your lunch and a restaurant for your dinner and there's art galleries and if you want nature there's probably a park too if you want that it's lovely and I love it and I don't want to go camping but it just feels like camping is like this is the the right thing to do the back to nature thing the bare minimum, minimalist thing we can do. And it is, it's bare minimum. Like, the distance between you and the dirt is like, is like a plastic tarpaulin and maybe, maybe your air mattress. And, and the distance between you and the sky is like this tiny bit of, I don't even know what they make tents out of, nylon, Pl- plastic, whatever your tent is made of, that and the sky and that's it. Like, it's the bare minimum. Now, I think reading this passage that Jesus is is not a bare minimum Messiah. He is a five-star Christ. That's what I reckon. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus wouldn't go camping. Like, he, he probably would. I don't know. He seems like a camping kind of guy. But what I am saying is he's not a bare minimum guy. Like, you read the passage that we had read to us today. Have a look at it. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to follow along. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, looking at verse 21 through to 26. And what Jesus is talking about here. If you go and look at the verse just before this in verse 20, it says this. Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, oh no, that's the wrong bit. I'm reading where, where am I reading from? Here it is. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So the Pharisees were these religious leaders who seemed like really Really righteous people. Like you look at the way they behave and like, oh man, they did all the right stuff. You want to know what a good religious person looks like? You look at the Pharisees. But Jesus is saying, if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a follower of him, then your righteousness has to go way past that of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are doing the bare minimum. They're doing the bare minimum. And he's saying, do the five star, do the most you can do. And that is what righteousness looks like in the kingdom of heaven. And as we go through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we'll see that Jesus does, continually does this. He continually raises, look, at this is the bare minimum. You surpass that. You keep going. You do the most you can do. And so he starts off here by talking about murder. Now, murder is the sixth commandment where it says, do not murder or you shall not murder. And that's, that's a pretty easy one to tick off the list, isn't it? Anyone can say, you know, I didn't murder. I'm a good person. You can tick that off. I'm done. But that's the bare minimum, Jesus is saying. Look at what he continues to say. You've heard that it was said long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. And I think what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, You've got to, got to go, go to the source. Like, murder is, is not the, the, you know, the first sin. It's the last sin in a whole line of sin. It's the, it's the mouth of the polluted river. You've got to go to the beginning. You've got to go to the spring, see where it's coming from. And he's saying that, that anger, the anger that comes from our heart, that is the thing that we have to deal with first. You go to the source. Stop dealing with the, with the symptoms and, and deal with the actual problem. I, I was in my house the other day and I saw an ant. I was like, oh, I see you. And so I got a cloth and I wiped it up. And I was like, let that be a lesson to all the other ants. They will know that they, they've sent out a scout into our house and it never came back. And they'll say, you do not go there. Danger lies there. But then I saw two ants. So I wiped them up too. I'm hardcore. I'm a dangerous man. The ants knew. They got the message until I saw four ants. And then eight. And then there was a lot. And then one morning I woke up and my compost you know, container that was on my bench was swarming with ants. They'd like, you know, set up a flag and a parliament and they were you know, had shopping centers and public transport. And I was like, this is not good. So I picked up my compost bin and I put it in a, another container filled with water and so the ants couldn't get to us like, now there's a moat, ants, you're not getting to my food. And so they stopped going to the compost but they went elsewhere because I have a toddler and most of my house is like rendered in like, you know, like Wheat Bix. So there's plenty of stuff for, for the ants to find there and I was like, this is a real problem. And so I decided, you know what i really got to do is I've got to find where the ants are coming from. So I followed their path and I found they were coming through this little crack in my, underneath my window and I got some ant gel that I got from Bunnings and I plugged it up and I've never seen an ant again because I went to the source. I mean, if I actually went to the source, I would have gone and found the ant nest and demolished that, but that felt a bit mean to me. I was like, just keep them out of my house. That seems like the right thing to do. And Jesus is saying, when murder is just the end and your angry words and the angry things you say the violent actions and the violent words and your violent thoughts they all come from your heart and your heart is what needs to be changed so he talks about these things he talks about the things that come from a, an angry heart that you call people names he says raka and it says here that you'll be answerable to the court like you get sent to court for calling someone the wrong thing, which I think Jesus is being a, a bit... Ex- is exaggerated because people weren't actually taken to court for using this word. But what he's saying is, if you go to court for murder, you'll go to court for using these words. This word raka is a word that means nothingness. Like, you are nothing. Like, that's, that's an erasure of a person. You are nothing to me. Or the, the word, uh, you fool is uh, the Greek word for you fool is where we get the word moron from, saying you are stupid. I don't have to engage with you or your ideas or your feelings or your person because you are too dumb for me. These are words that we use to dehumanize people. And Jesus is saying we cannot be people who dehumanize other people because that is like murder. You may not actually murder them, but you're saying you are worthless. You are nothing to me. You are done, and dehumanizing language is language that we can all fall into, but is language that leads to terrible things. Recently, there was a controversy because Donald Trump called immigrants vermin, and people got angry about it, and rightfully so, and people said there are, there are connections to, to Nazi Germany in the way they talked about the Jews, and they did talk about the Jews like vermin, but the problem wasn't just the words that they used, but there was setting, up the, setting the stage for eradicating the Jews for genocide because you degrade the people and you say they are less than human. And when they are less than human, then you can kill them. Now, I'm not saying when we use words like this, when we dehumanize people with our words, when we call people things that are less than human, when we call people names or other things, I'm not saying that we're committing genocide. But I am saying they're all coming from the same place. They're all coming from a heart that is angry and wants to destroy other people. If not, destroy them physically, but destroy them in our minds. Destroy them with our words. Now, when Jesus talks about anger, he is not talking about all anger. I don't think he's saying you can never be angry. Because in other places in the Bible, we see Jesus get angry. He gets angry at death. He gets angry at people who are exploiting others. In Ephesians, we are told, in your anger, do not sin. Not don't be angry, but when you're angry, do not sin. There is a sinful type of anger. There is good anger. There is anger at injustice. There is anger because people have sinned against you. You can be angry at sin. Anger about what has been done to you or done to others. Angry because this is a broken world. But then there is the anger that wants to destroy people. We can use anger to encourage us to to rebuild this broken world, or we can use anger to be part of tearing it apart. And Jesus is calling us to turn our backs on that destructive anger, the anger that wants to destroy other people, the anger that dehumanizes other people, the anger that ends in death. Jesus is saying we need to go to the heart and address the heart and have our heart changed so that we might be angry about what someone has done, but we do not want to hurt the person. But what Jesus does is he doesn't just tell us, don't be angry. He doesn't just give us negative instruction here. He also gives us positive instruction. He doesn't just tell us what righteousness isn't, he tells us what righteousness is. So if you have a look, he continues on and he gives us a positive thing that we can do. He gives us the opposite of murder. So what is the opposite of murder? Some of you might be thinking, making babies, which I guess maybe it is, but that's not what we're talking about here. When you murder someone, it's the end of them. So it's the end of a relationship. It's the end of any possibility of reconciliation, any possibility of forgiveness or seeking forgiveness. They, they do not exist. It is done. It is finished. So what's the opposite of that? It's the restoration of relationship. It's trying to put things right, trying to return things how they, to how they should be. And Jesus is saying that is what we must pursue. He's giving us a positive thing to do, a positive response. Don't do this. Do this instead. Uh, With my toddler, that's one of the things that we try and work on with her. When she does something that we don't like, we don't just say, don't do that. We try and say, please don't do that. Do this instead. Please, please don't throw that mug. Can you find something soft to throw instead? And she never does. But, you know, we try and give her a positive thing to do. Please don't yell like that. Can you you take a deep breath and talk quietly and tell us what it is that you want? Please don't set that police car on fire. If you're angry about the injustice of the justice system, write to your MP. Maybe your kindy teacher can help you with that. We find something that is, you know, you take the negative thing and then you give them a positive response. And Jesus is doing that with us. The positive response is to restore relationships. Look at what he says. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversity ta- adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not have Sorry, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So there's two pictures here of restoring relationship. One looks like it's a picture of the people of faith being together. And he's talking to people who would offer their sacrifices at the temple. And if you're in Galilee, it was like a few days journey to the temple. And so where Jesus was speaking, those people would imagine themselves going to the temple and there with their gift, maybe a lamb or some doves and be like, oh, hold on. Uh, that, that bloke at home, he, he ripped me off and, uh, he's, and he's angry at me and I'm angry at him. we have better fix that. So you leave your gift at the altar and then you, then you go home and you fix it up and then you come back. By that stage, your birds would have flown away or your sheep would have wandered off. So Jesus, I think, is exaggerating here. But what he's saying is it's so important that before you do the symbols of God's reconciliation with us, you do the actual work of reconciliation with other people. And that's why in church, when we have communion, we spend time passing the peace. You go around and you say, peace, 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 peace. And it's not just a time to, to stretch your legs and say hello to your friends, but it's actually about when we come to Jesus and we, and we enact the symbols of his reconciling work between us and God, before we do that, we must reconcile with our brothers and sisters, That we might find the people who we might have a problem with in the family of faith and we might say to each other, I wish you God's peace. I wish you my peace. That we might heal those relationships before we come to God and enact our healed relationship with God. That's what it's there for. And then in the second one, it seems to be that he's talking about people who are outside the family of faith. That when someone is suing you and taking you to court, then then instead of, you know, holding on to your right to be right and to win the court case, which you might not win anyway, settle, set it right, fix the relationship. Because what Jesus is saying here is saying what's more important than being right is having a restored relationship. What's more important than holding on to your pride is holding on to the people around you and showing them what it means to love and to care for each other. And this is what Jesus is asking us to do. I, uh, I want to you know, take some of you back in time, and for others of you, this might be something you've never experienced, but some of you will remember going to the video store. And that was a good good experience of life you know a wholesome experience you go there on a Friday night or a Saturday night you maybe go with your brothers and sisters or your friends and you got to try and figure out what you're going to borrow and for those of you who don't know a video store was like a library but they had VHS tapes there with movies on them or they had uh, later on they had DVDs and later even later for the last remaining ones they had blu-rays but the idea was that you go and you'd Borrow a VHS tape, and there were some which were for films that had just been in the cinema, and some which were quite old. And the, the new ones were overnight ones, and you'd pay like five or six dollars for those ones, and then you'd take it back the next morning, uh, or you'd borrow some for a week, and then. And it was really enjoyable. And and my local Video Easy store, which is where I go regularly, they had a deal where you could get 10 weeklies for $10. So you can be sure I took them up on that regularly. It was great. And I was very good at at borrowing videos, but I was also very good at not bringing them back. And And so I'd return them late... Because, you know, if you're late, staying up late watching a movie one night, you don't want to return it the next day. Like, that's too much effort. And so then I'd get fined, and I'd go in the next time. And my mate who worked there, his name was Mark. I only knew him because I went to Video Easy so often. But we were friends. He would look at his computer, and then he'd look up at me, and he'd be like, you owe us some money. And I'd be like, can I pay it later? And he'd be like, yeah, sure. And then, then, you know, that's how we did things. Eventually, I'd pay it off because he'd be like, it's gone too long, Tom. But... Eventually, I moved out of the area. I moved out of my parents' house, and then so, and I still owed like twenty dollars at Video Easy, and uh, and I was like, well, you know, that's done. I'm never going to pay that, and I'll never go back to Video Easy. I'll go to if I have to go to Video Easy, near my, I'll go get a video near my parents' house. I'll go to the Blockbuster. That's fine. But then I got a letter from them in the mail, and it said, "Dear Mr. French, we haven't seen you for a while, and we noticed you owe us twenty dollars." We will wipe that debt and we look forward to welcoming you again soon. And I was like, great. And I went straight back and I borrowed more videos. And they they were probably reading the Sermon on the Mount. They saw, oh, Tom has something against us that he has to pay us $20. So we will heal the relationship and we will restore things. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Because what he says here is if you realize that someone has something against you, restore the relationship. Not you have something against someone. Now, you might be this kind of person who, you know, you don't have many problems with many people, but other people might have problems with you. You're like, well, that's their problem, not my problem. This is the stuff that I find difficult in this passage. Like, I don't get that angry that much. I probably should get more angry about things that are worth being angry about, but I don't. But that's a thing that, you know, I can talk to a therapist about. But the thing that that I, I struggle with in this is actually restoring relationships. If there's a problem, then I don't want to do the work. That's, that's, that's awkward. And if someone's got a problem with me, then that seems to be their problem. But Jesus is saying, you do the work. You let go of your right to be right. It is more important that you restore the relationship than you hold on to your pride. You seek forgiveness or you offer forgiveness. You put things right because that is running in the opposite direction of murder. That is what righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees looks like. That is what five-star following of Jesus is. You run in the opposite direction and you put things right. I had a job once where I had a boss who was not a great boss. And so much so that there was like months at a time where he just did not talk to me. Like we were in the same office, but he would not talk to me. And so eventually I was like, this is not working out. I should probably leave. And so I left the job. And then last year I was at a conference and he was there. And I was like, what's what are we gonna do? What's gonna happen? Should I go and talk to him? I don't know, this is awkward. Should we have it? I don't know what to do. And I was like stewing about it. And in the end, all my stewing was, you know, unnecessary because he came up to me. And he walked up to me and he put out his hand and he shook my hand. He was like, Good to see you. How are you going? And now we didn't like hash it out and talk about what had happened, but he, for someone who is so good at ignoring me, sought me out and sought to make things right. He was living out this passage. He knew that we had a problem, but he sought to put things right. That he showed me how Jesus is calling us to live just a little bit. Now you might be hearing this and thinking, this is a bit hard. This is really hard, and it is hard. This is harder than than we can actually achieve on our own. Like you might be able to do some things to deal with your anger. You might be able to fix some relationships or put down get rid of some of your pride, but you're always going to be struggling to fix your heart because you cannot do that. That's beyond you. But the good thing about Jesus is he never asks us to do something that he isn't willing to do himself. And in Jesus we see the example of God's love that God the Father has, had made a perfect world and we became God's enemies by the way that we have treated him. If anyone had a right to be angry ever, it was God for what we have done to him and done to each other. If anyone had a right to destroy us, it is God. And yet what does he do? He sends his son Jesus to put things right. He sends his son Jesus to show us how to live and to die in our place for our sins. Jesus doesn't just leave his gift at the altar to be reconciled with us. He is the gift on the altar. He dies so that we don't have to. And he rises again so that we might be in relationship with God. And he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we might be changed. And we might have the power to live the way he calls us to live to have righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, righteousness that runs in the opposite direction of the bare minimum and does the most that we can do. That is what the Holy Spirit is there working in us to do. So the bit by bit, we become the people that Jesus calls us to become. So the challenge is for us, how are we going to respond to this call of Jesus to us? Jesus, who has shown us what reconciliation looks like, shown us how to pursue a life of love, what are we going to do in response? If you are not a Christian, then the challenge for you is that your relationship with God at the moment is broken. And he wants it to be restored. And so will you turn to him and say, I will accept what Jesus has done to put things right. I will will acknowledge that you have let go of your right to be angry at me and instead made a way for me to be loved by you? Will you be welcomed into God's family? And when that is done, then you can do the work of trying to restore other relationships. Or if you are a Christian, the challenge for you is, what is it that God is calling you to do today? What is it that God is calling you to do to let go of the destructive anger that is in your heart? Maybe... Maybe it's about, you know there are broken relationships that you have to put right. That you have to let go of your right to be right and you have to try to to restore the relationship. Maybe there are people you need to seek forgiveness from. Maybe there's a text you need to send, a phone call you need to make. Maybe you need to go and meet with someone to, to try and put things right. Maybe it's just about changing. There's people who have hurt you so much that you're like, the only thing I can do is just change the way that I talk about them. I will no longer use words that dehumanize them. I will remember that they are made in the image of God, even though they have done terrible things to me. We're going to take a little bit of time now to reflect and to ask God to show us what He is calling us to do. Maybe to bring to mind a relationship that we need to work towards healing or bring to mind a behavior that he wants us to change. And then after we've asked God to show us that, we're going to ask God to show us what the next step is and to ask him to help us to do it. So we're going to spend a bit of time in silence, asking God to show us what the next step is. And then I'm going to pray for us. Now, if God has brought something to mind or someone to mind, ask him to show you how he would like you to respond, what he'd like you to do. Know that as he has brought these things to your mind, that he gives you the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it that you do not do it alone and what seems impossible for you is entirely possible for him. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you that in him we see that you gave up your right to be angry at us, that you sought to restore our relationship with you and to make a way for us to restore relationship with others. I pray that you will be giving us the knowledge to know what you are calling us to do, the steps that we need to take to let go of our anger and run towards restoration. And God, I know it is hard. So I pray that you'll be filling each one with the knowledge of your love. That they that each one of us are loved more than we can imagine that you are not angry at us but you love us and you want the best for us and you want to help us to be people who have righteousness that is more than the bare minimum. I pray that you'll help us to be people who restore relationships, who put things right, who chase after goodness and follow the steps of your Son. Amen.